Colossians 3, we're beginning in verse 18 this week. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have been a ma- you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, speak, O Lord, to us as we have sung, as we come now to your word. Open the eyes of our heart and cause us to see uh, what you have for us today. Feed our souls, Lord. Nourish and equip us for every good work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Who read ahead and knew what text was coming today? Um, And the follow-up question was, would you have stayed home if you had known? Because I'm taking role to see everybody who's missing today. Just kidding. This passage is a prime example of why we are committed to expository Bible preaching, where we go into a book of the Bible and we work our way through it. Because the temptation, when you come to a difficult passage, and for some this is a difficult passage, is to skip over it just to gloss over it, maybe pass it by, maybe pick up a few verses down. And what this does is it keeps me accountable and it forces us to work through what the Scriptures say. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for us to equip us for every good work, right? And so this too is profitable. But we can't help but acknowledge that our cultural norms in today's world are different. And so... This may be something that uh, causes some awkwardness as we work through it, but I pray that you'll hear me out, and particularly that you will hear God's Word out this morning. One thing that we want to keep in mind as we work through this entire passage is that this letter was being written to the household of faith. This was being written to a new church in Colossae, a church of young believers who were looking and wanting to know how to follow the Lord. The instructions are for believers, and we need to understand that the application, application for these instructions are subsequently for the people of God. And what I mean is, apart from faith in Christ, these will not make sense. In many ways, I feel like we need to start with verse 1 in chapter 4, the last verse that we're dealing with today, and work backwards, because it says, you also have a master in heaven. And that's why I called this sermon, Jesus, our master, that we all are in submission to him. And it's only when we submit to Christ that the, the message of the kingdom, that his instructions to us, that we look at things like the Sermon on the Mount, or we look at passages like this, it's only in submission to his authority that these things make sense. Remember that to the world, the message of the cross is folly. But to thus, uh, those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So the word of the gospel, foolishness to the world, 
but to us who belong to Christ, it is God's power. And so these instructions give us a framework for peace and success in our relationships. So they're very, very applicable. This is very, very practical instruction. And if you think about what we've covered up to now in Colossians, he has painted this picture of the supremacy of Christ throughout this book. And now he's showing how the supremacy of Christ, as it rules over the entire universe, it drills all the way down even into your home. This matters for each person here. The supremacy of Christ matters for us. Another thing I want you to keep in mind is all of this instruction is in line with the freedom that is ours in Christ. We have been saved or called unto freedom. John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. In 1 Peter 2, 16, live as people who are free, knowing that we were called and saved unto freedom then helps us better understand how we exist in our relationships. Let me say this again. It is imperative that we first understand that we are all under the headship of Christ. He is our Lord and Master. We don't make Jesus Lord. He is the Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We either submit to Him or we rebel against Him. And we know that in the big sense, and we also know that in the very practical daily sense, that when we sin against God, we are rejecting Jesus as Lord. It doesn't change who he is. Now, when we rebel against him, we discover that what we think is our freedom, because isn't that what we're after when we rebel? Anytime we sin, we want the freedom to do this or the freedom to do that. What do we discover? It's not that we had freedom after all, but it's often... The result is bondage. We discover that we're in bondage to sin. You and I are free to drive up and down US 1. We do it at least once a week. But if you decide that in your freedom you should be able to do that at 70 miles an hour, it won't be long until you discover that that freedom might lead to some flashing blue lights in your rearview window. And if upon approaching your window, you roll it down and you scream at the police officer, you can't tell me what to do. Because in your freedom, you think that you have the freedom to do that. What will you discover? That your freedom has actually led you into handcuffs and a ride in the backseat of his car, possibly, to the jail. You see, that's where our misunderstanding of freedom, as long as we live within the rules and the guidelines of the state of Florida in terms of driving laws, we're free to drive up and down US-1. But the moment that we work outside of those laws and those guidelines, we discover we're not free at all. So I want us to understand that in terms of our relationships as well. So first, we have the, the, the first, uh, four, ver- or the first uh, yeah, four verses that deal with our household relationships. We're going to put these in two categories. The scope of this is the Christian home. We have to make sure that we don't try and take these principles and apply them outside of the home. When we read, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love, love your wives, it is not saying that women are to submit to men in society, in the workplace, or in politics. The scope of this is the Christian home. It is that wives submit to their husband, singular, and also husbands love their wife, singular. We could take that other one and unpack, and it would lead us into just as dangerous a place as well. The command for wives to submit to husbands and husbands to love their wife 
is in respect to their roles, the roles that we have been given. And there is clear hierarchy that is necessary in the organism of family, but hierarchy does not suggest inferiority. Let me say that again. Hierarchy does not suggest inferiority. To those of you who are parents, there are, there's an order to the birth of your children. There's a, and in a sense, there, there's a hierarchy, uh, less and less in our culture today. But we all know that firstborns tend to act one way, and those of us who are the youngest tend to be a little goofier and cutting up and so forth. There's these broad generalizations. But there isn't in that the suggestion that one child is inferior to the other. Correct? There are roles and responsibilities that you may establish in your home for your children. You may have the oldest in charge of babysitting when they get old enough instead of the youngest. Why? Because they're the oldest. But again, there's not a sense of superiority. But let me give you a better example of this. In fact, I think this is the best example that I can give you from Scripture. And if you notice, I don't say that very often, but I think this is true. The best example of this idea that in hierarchy it does not suggest inferiority is in the Holy Trinity. The Son is simultaneously equal to the Father and yet submits to the Father's will. The Son is simultaneously equal to the Father and yet submits to the Father's will. John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing of my own because I seek not my own will but the will of Him who sent me. He went on to say this in different ways and different expressions over and over again in His ministry, that He came to do the will of the Father. And even so, equality and submissiveness can exist in human relationships including the marriage relationship. And so just as the Son followed the will of the Father, even so, Christian wives can fulfill their role in following the leading of their Christian husbands. Submit, however, is not a synonym for servile, inferior bondage. Notice the command to submit is followed with, as is fitting to the Lord. Wives are not being instructed to follow their husbands into sin, or things that goes against God's command. Wives are not instructed to tolerate abuse in the marriage relationship, whether it's physical or emotional or any other category. It's as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, when Peter and the apostles, do you remember when we worked our way through Acts, and they stood before the religious leaders, and they showed submission up to a point at which they announced, we must obey God rather than man. That is our, God is our ultimate authority. And so as is fitting in the Lord is as is fitting according to the Christian husband leading the Christian wife in a way that glorifies God. It's interesting, Paul wrote a parallel passage which is more expansive than this in Ephesians 5 that you may be familiar with in which he also talks about the relationships in the home. And in that passage, he precedes or prefaces it with this instruction. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Godly husbands and wives listen to each other and seek to search, serve the other for God's glory. They look for ways to benefit the other, to consider the needs of the other as more important than their own. So then, the command for husbands to love their wives and not be harsh with them means that the godly husband is a gentle leader. In Ephesians 5, that parallel passage I mentioned says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
The love of a husband is to be self-sacrificing. Not only gentle, but self-sacrificing. The pastor who I grew up under, when he would conduct weddings, he would give a charge to the groom and to the bride. And the charge to the groom, he always included a statement like this. There ought to be little drops of blood behind your steps as you lead your wife every day. What did he mean by that? Just as Christ laid his life down for his bride, for the church, even so you, husband, lay your life down for your wife. Sacrifice your own desires and your own wants for your wife. To love your wife isn't some ethereal idea of sensuality or even affection. The word here is actually agape. It is God's love, and it displays what Christ did for us in laying his life down. Now, the outcome of this is a beautiful testimony of the gospel, and Paul gets into that more in Ephesians 5 than he does here. But wives who lovingly respect their husbands as they submit to their master, Jesus, make it easy for their husbands to sacrifice their lives for them. Likewise, husbands who lovingly lay down their own lives for their wife as they submit to their master, Jesus, make it easy for their wives to respect them. And so hear me when I say that it is something that is, is mutually beautiful when we do, both do this. However, our obedience to the command is not dependent on the other. Right? Remember when we were kids, or when, when I was a kid, I don't know if your mom said this, but there were four of us born within five years of each other. To say that there may have been some conflict in our home uh, would be an understatement. But any time we tried to throw a brother or sister under the bus... Mom would always be like, mm-mm, you're not accountable for them. You're accountable for you. She always brought it back to, you're responsible for how you respond. You can't be responsible for them. And then she'd usually follow up with, I'll deal with them later, you know, but she was make, make sure. That was a valuable life lesson, and it is true for how we respond. I want you also to remember what we just looked at last week. In Colossians 3.17, the verse that preceded this verse that started maybe so abruptly for you this morning as I read it. But look in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. This whatever and everything becomes very practical and very applicable now in the setting of the home. The home is where it starts and the home must not be hypocritical or, or duplicitous of what we say we believe when we, when we uh, live and exist outside the home. Now, if we stop here and think about it for a moment, it is. I mean, we all tell the jokes of what it's like to ride to church on Sunday, and then everybody comes in, and you know, after you've been fighting it out in the, in the minivan, you walk in and put on smiles. Or my favorite was always, you know, mom just letting us have it. I'm picking on mom today. Mom just letting us have it, and then the phone would ring, and, oh, hello. You know, and, and then she'd cover up the microphone, you just wait, and yeah, sure, we'd love to come to lunch after church on Sunday, right? I mean, we're all inclined to do this. But we have to ensure that our behavior, because our kids see through it, our husbands, our wives, our spouses, and certainly the world sees through it as well. I want to say that it's only by the power of the Spirit within us that husbands or wives can live as they've called to be. To try to live out these commands apart from the Spirit's power in our lives is like a train without an engine. We're all to submit 
to our master Jesus. And as we submit to his will for our lives, we not only know peace and freedom, but the power to live as he's called us to live. And this is also true in the following verses. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The word that's used here for obey is much stronger than the word that's used for submit in verse 18. The word for submit is more voluntary submission or choice. We're talking about adults. Here we're talking to children, and the word is more absolute and stronger. And it's made up of two words that mean listen and under. And the idea is that children are to listen under their parents or really listen to your parents. And the idea of under means that you're learning from your parents. In other words, what we want for our children is not that they simply obey, but that they are also learning wisdom as they obey. Learning to obey is a valuable life lesson. And it's important, but we don't simply want our kids just to, just to rotely obey. We want them to grow in wisdom and understanding. Children who don't obey their parents are foolish. I think the world even recognizes this. If you've ever been in a grocery store and seen a temper tantrum, there's no one who is comfortable with that. It's like a train wreck. You can't look away, but you want to because it's awkward. And likewise, this is the stuff that talk shows now are made of, uh, the train wrecks that are on TV. And we, we find that it's something that is, is, is wrong. And it uh, certainly, Paul instructs us that this is a sign of the end of the times too. Learning to obey your parents, children, learning to obey your parents as you listen and learn from their instruction is the wise way to live. And I think that it's interesting because this is not a new idea for the people of God. As we read this morning from the Ten Commandments, that fifth commandment is the same thing. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. All of the commandments of God are good for us and for our good. And yet here, God takes the time to explain the benefit. Think of this. The one commandment that is aimed at children comes with an explanation of the benefit. And I think this serves us as parents as kind of a guideline as to how we are to lead our children. Not that we can always explain the benefits, the pros and the cons of why we're calling them to obey. I think learning to obey is essential. But when the opportunities afford themselves, when we are able, that we take the time to instruct their hearts and not simply demand obedience without giving instruction. And I can say as a parent that this is hard. Because so often you're, you're busy and there are things that you need to do or there are things that you want to do, and this takes time. This takes energy. This takes your life stopping in order to help your child. But the fruit of this is so good. And then in verse 21, it states, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The command here is to fathers and not to parents. But I don't think that Paul is saying this doesn't apply to moms. I think what he's getting at is that this is an area that fathers particularly struggle with, provoking our kids. Sometimes it's a disconnect uh, that fathers have. Sometimes it's a harshness, and he says, don't be harsh. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, just a a, a genuine desire to raise strong children that are ready to, to take on the world and not be continually dependent and returning to mom and dad for a bailout in their adult years. 
But whatever the reason, dads, in a general way, tend to lack the grace and mercy that moms generally have in providing instruction to children. And so to that end, I think dads have to be particularly mindful that we're not discouraging or exasperating, this is another word uh, that Paul uses, uh, our children. That we're not sucking the courage out of them. Each child is unique and, of course, requires great wisdom in how to parent them to know how to instruct them in a way that fills them with courage, encourages them, as opposed to the opposite, deflates or takes away that courage, discourages them. And it's only, as we said with husbands and wives, it's also true with fathers, and let me say parents, it's also true with parents and children, that it's only as we submit to our Master Jesus that we are able, according to the power of God within us, and discerning, filled with his wisdom, to live in this way. Let me add one more thing. Uh, A number of you are fathers like me who still have children at home, and so this is practical for us. It helps us. It gives us things that we can look at and apply and consider. But a number of you uh, no longer have children at home. And so you may hear these words, and instead of uh, hearing it as instruction, you sense some regret, maybe, or some pain over what you failed to do as a father. And let me say to you that while your role as a father certainly changes when your children leave home, you never stop being a father. And I would encourage you to consider having conversations with your adult children. It may be that your situation is there are things that you you feel like you need to apologize for. It may just be things that you want them to understand and help uh, explain why things were the way that they were. But talking to your children about what your desires are as God grows you and matures you uh, can bring healing to your kids, and it can give hope to your children. And I can speak to this personally. I also want to say that some of you may have become believers later in life, and your children may not be believers. This is an opportunity for the gospel as well. There is something about, and I think this is unique uh, in, in some ways with fathers, There is something about, you think of the number of people you have known in your life well into their adult years who are still trying to please their dad, who may or may not even be alive anymore, and how that grips and changes their life forever. If you are living as a father and your adult children, you can connect with them and talk with them about different things that you think about parenting. Because I know that as I look back in just my short experience as a parent, there are so many things that I would do differently. That taking the time to explain and instruct and encourage, that making sure that I wasn't deflating them in that call to obedience, but was looking for ways to build them up in ways that I failed to point them to Christ, I would go over and do them differently every time. And so I imagine for those of you who are ahead of me in life that there may be things that you have seen and learned, and I just want to encourage you that you can, um, you can give your kids hope and healing in taking the time to do that. Now let's go on and and finish up. The last five verses deal with this role of master and servant, and really the most applicable way to bring uh, this into our lives is in the workplace. But I want to stretch it beyond that, not just consider the workplace. Um, In the Roman Empire, there were certainly slaves, but there were also, this term bondservant includes a much larger group and, and, and when we come to a passage like this, it's hard because slavery is an unjust act. So there is injustice in this, and yet Paul doesn't take the time to speak to it. Uh, 
And so some people will come in and leverage the charge against him that somehow he tolerated slavery. I don't think that's fair, and I don't think it's right. Uh, simply because the Bible speaks to things or doesn't speak to things in certain contexts. The Bible talks about polygamy. The Bible talks about adultery. The Bible talks about a lot of things that in, in, in the account of talking about it may not criticize it or call it out as sin. That doesn't mean. We can go to other passages of Scripture and certainly see all men and women, every human being created in the image of God is of value and infinite worth. And the idea of ownership is clearly sinful. I want to be clear about that. But this category of bondservant included uh, not only slaves, but it included it was a social class. It included those who were indebted to other people, and it included convicts, and it included their families, their children. And some scholars, at a minimum, believe this was a thir- one-third of the Roman Empire. And some suggest it was as much as half of the Roman Empire, this social class. So as these people were coming to faith in Christ, did they need practical instruction about how to live? Yeah, you bet. And so this was immensely helpful. Even more in particular in this congregation was a slave named Onesimus. Do you remember Onesimus? And his owner, his master, Philemon. And you can read the book of Philemon this afternoon. It's really short. You can read it in about five minutes. And know that these two men sat in this congregation. And I think that is arguably the reason why Paul spends a larger chunk of this letter dealing with the the relationship here of master and servant than he did with with the home. There's more verses, more words here. But it's helpful to keep these things in mind that this was the context of Paul's letter. One more thing that I want us to keep in mind is Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to reiterate the equality of all people before God. We were all made in the image of God and are all equal in worth and value. Men, women, slave, free, whatever category you want to plug in there, there is no superiority and no inferiority in the created order, and there better not be in the body of Christ. Even though we see it in the external world, people abuse the power that they have. It certainly should not be in our midst. And so with that in mind, we do well to understand what was going on in this time under the Roman Empire, the experiences that they had. I want you to think, you may think primarily of the servant role, because most of you have worked a job in your life, and and that's certainly an applicable way. Some of you may think of the master role, because you've had employees, or you've been a boss or a manager of people. Uh, But I want us to think even more broadly of that. Anytime that we go out and we seek service in the, the service industries, but even beyond that, we are being served. Now, we're doing it as a paid customer, but we have the opportunity in how we treat people to reflect the glory of Christ. When we go to the grocery store, to hotels, to restaurants, but also to the doctor's office, to the dentist, to different areas in which we are being served. And so let's keep that in mind as well. Um, even more broadly, we can think of the relationships that we have in our communities and in our neighborhoods And most certainly we should think of these relationships that we have in this room within the body of Christ in terms of how we apply each of these principles. Look in verse 22 then 
First, obey not as people pleasers, but as God pleasers. Some of us struggle with this more than others, but this is, I think, a universal struggle of people um, that were maybe a little more sincere and a little more diligent when the boss or the customer is looking. But when we're in secret, when we're hiding, we say things or do things that we wouldn't do in front of the boss or in front of the customer. But we as believers ought to do the right thing the right way, right away, every time. Because we're not serving the boss and the customer. Ultimately, we're serving our master, Jesus. And we do things not out of a fear of man, but out of a fear of God. And, and, and fear is such a, a negative word, but notice the freedom that it is here. The fear of God means that he knows everything. In other words, what you can keep a secret from a boss or a customer, you cannot keep as a secret from God. And even more than that, he knows our hearts. So there's great freedom in this. We can't keep secrets from him. And so the fear of him ought to drive us to live in a way that pleases him. Verse 23, doing everything from the Lord for the Lord from the heart. In other words, we put our whole heart into how we serve. And this can be especially hard when we have a bad boss. And this is why, in essence, Paul is telling us you're not doing it for them, but for your master, Jesus. Um, for those of you who may be in that situation, uh, it is such a fight for faith to do everything unto the Lord when you are being misused and mistreated. But continue to do everything unto the Lord and trust his hands and look for a way out. I don't think that that's unwise or unbiblical in a vocational sense. Look for and pray for a way out. I wouldn't want anyone to stay in a situation like that. But as long as you have to, do it as unto the Lord and trust him for, for deliverance. Verse 24, our reward is heavenly and not earthly. And here he calls our reward an inheritance. Now, we think of a reward as something that we earned and that we deserve. But do you work for an inheritance? No, an inheritance is a gift. And so even in this idea of a reward, we see the grace of God working in us and through us as he's sanctifying us in how we serve people. Verse 25, justice is coming. You don't, have, you don't have to feel the weight of getting vengeance for the bad boss, for the bad customer, for those bad experiences as you've served people and then been misused. You can trust God who will respond and will repay justly. He says there's no partiality. And so this is then for the master and for the servant, whatever role that we're in, that we do everything as unto the Lord without partiality. And then finally, in verse 1 of chapter 4, remember, even when you're the master, you're always under the master, that we always walk in submission to Jesus Christ. This is, in essence, uh, the golden rule. As Jesus taught in Matthew 7, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This ought to be how we not only function in our jobs vocationally, but how we function when we're out at restaurants and hotels and so forth, that we consider how we treat those who are serving us and treat them the way that we want to be treated. Let me say this in conclusion as we draw this up. What does this actually look like? What does it put on display? I think that in all of these relationships, as we submit to Jesus as our master, it looks like grace. The wife who submits to her husband and the husband who loves with gentleness emit the aroma of grace. 
The child who obeys and the father who tenderly instructs and guides shines the light of grace. The servant who works heartily as unto the Lord and the master who is just and fair both magnify the grace of God as they submit to Jesus. So why then or or, or how then do we continue to manifest this? As we submit to Jesus... Um, this puts the gospel on display. Because our submitting to the Lord shows that we are not independent, but dependent. And a part of that dependence, the significant part of that dependence, is that we couldn't save ourselves. And so our coming to Jesus as Master and Lord indicates that we were unable to do anything with our sin problem. And yet, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Our Master and Lord laid His life down for us and called us out of darkness and into light. So, in our submission to Christ as Master, we not only find success and peace in our relationships, it's very, very practical, but those relationships then become a testimony of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to a dying world. And they become opportunities. And that's really what Paul unfolds about the marriage relationship in Ephesians 5. That it becomes a testimony to Christ's love for the church. The yoke of our master is easy and his burden is light. So come to him, all you who are weary. Come to the master Jesus and find your rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we consider the words of your scriptures to us, that we would feel both the weight and the freedom that come uh, with your law and commandment, that we would see your good instruction to us is not only for our good, but it gives you great glory. And so may these words and thoughts continue in our minds as we go from here, that we would become and continue to become lights of the gospel in our relationships and especially in our homes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.